Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week, and God bless. today deals with the topic eschatology. Now what is eschatology? This past week we were at the boardwalk and um, in New, I was just in New Jersey on Thursday night and they, they always have live bands on Thursday nights and when we first started going, when I first started going, Diane's been going there for her entire life, um, they had lots of bands up and down the boardwalk. You can walk down and hear different music all night long. This year they only had two bands. The first band we encountered up on around 7th Street called themselves the Big Daddy Duo, which I think was two guys who got stuck inside during COVID and decided to form a band. And they did. And they were really good. Um, they had, they, one of the guys got this um, drum box kit that attaches to his guitar so he, they could have percussion even though it was just two of them. Um, and they were singing songs that I knew. There was another band down the block that was good. They started singing some songs that I knew, and then they started singing these obscure Beatles songs that I had no idea existed. Um, so we went back and listened up to them, to the Big Daddy Duo a little bit more on Thursday night. And one of the songs that they were singing was a song first sung by the Cavaliers, and then Pearl Jam picked it up and did a cover on it. You all probably know it, Last Kiss. You all know that song? Where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. He's gone to heaven, so I, she's gone to heaven, so I got to be good, so I can see my baby when I leave this world. Whenever you hear the word eschatology, think of this song, because this song's all about eschatology. Granted, it's horrible eschatology, very un-Lutheran eschatology, but eschatology nonetheless. Dealing with what is to come. For one thing, what the song does says that, you know, as Lutherans, we don't believe that, that God kills anybody. That simply that death is a part of life. But God promises to redeem us, even in the grave. And we believe that baptism is the only necessary thing for salvation. This guy says, I've got, she's gone to heaven, so I got to be good. Um, so I can see my baby when I leave this world. That's not Lutheran theology. We believe that baptism is the thing that gets you into heaven, not your works. Um, but nonetheless, it deals with eschatology. Eschatology deals with the end of time, which is also called the eschaton. Now, we have a whole book in the Bible that is solely dedicated to the eschaton. Um, that doesn't mean that other New Testament books are void of the subject. Jesus, through the author of Luke, I think is doing two things with this passage, in this passage. How you are to maintain discipleship through division and conflict. And two, how one is to interpret signs. I have to say, though, that Luke 12 is not one of the most popular passages of the Bible. People don't get tattooed on their bodies anywhere, these words. We don't have t-shirts made with Luke 12:49 on them. I came to bring fire to earth, and oh, how I wish it were kindled. Imagine that was our mission statement here at at Zion. (laughs) Like, hey, do you want to come to a place where we might light you on fire this week? 
mean, that's a great way to get people in the church, right? Light them on fire. I was curious how I approached this text in years past and possibly borrow some ideas, if not a whole sermon, so that I can uh, not write a sermon on vacation. And I went back and read them, and um, I said things like, conflict can be a good thing for an organization, that sometimes division happens for good reasons. Yeah, I said all that stuff before COVID-19 and these past two and a half years. Because for these last two and a half years, I've had to make a lot of lose-lose decisions. I've had to deal with a lot of conflict. I've had people say to me, you required us to wear masks, so I'm never coming back to your church. On the very other side, I have people saying, you don't allow, you tell people they don't have to wear masks in church anymore, I'm never coming back. There are days when it feels like I can do nothing wrong, that I even breathe the wrong way for people as a pastor. And I know this has always been the case. You can't please everybody. But it, it just feels different these days. And I don't know if this is all the inevitable and the pandemic just sped everything up or something else is going on in society and in the world. But I, for one, am very much sick of conflict tired of being at odds with my family and my friends, with the people I've been called by God to serve. I'm tired of conflict, and I have at times wondered if the way I feel now is always going to be the way that I'm going to feel, because if that's the case, is it even worth it? And I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. I mean, you look around at our, at our congregation and our, in our pews, and there are a lot of missing faces, right? And it's not just here. Many people have completely disengaged from church communities, from Christian communities around our country. This is a nationwide trend, but to be honest, the trend has always been there. The pandemic just sped it up. We've seen a lot of people disconnected from, the church, from church communities over the last 40 years. I remember when I entered into ministry 10 years ago, we were talking about sports, practice, and games being played on Sunday mornings. Now, and how horrible it is that, that happens that people would choose sports over going to church. Now, you can say that this family has their priorities backwards and you can blame them all we want, but what if we turn the discussion around to ask why someone would choose sports over church? Is sports giving their family something that church isn't able or unwilling to supply? Have we scared people away? Has, has the word of God, especially this lesson, Scared people away. I've come to bring fire to this earth, and oh, how I wish it were already kindled. Or that line from the psalm, Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Great thing you should tattoo on your, on the, on your arm, right? To be honest, I think the answer to both of these questions is yes. There are multiple times in Jesus' ministry when people turned away from Jesus because he was a bit too radical. People couldn't handle what Jesus was saying. But I also think we have, we have not done a great job of showing people why church matters. Instead, we expect people to come and support what we are doing, but we give them no voice in organizational decision-making. I mean, to be really honest and blunt, because Jesus is pretty honest and blunt today, I think a lot of people view the church as only caring about their money and not their soul. And while I know that is not the case, and you all know that is not the case, that we care more about them than what's in their pockets. 
Sometimes our language and our actions do not always convey what really matters, i.e., This passage seems to affirm precisely the wrong tendencies in human communities. That when you get a bunch of people together, it's only a matter of time before divisions and conflict occur. And yet, as I read this text this week, and as I thought about this text and and pondered these words from Jesus, I was reminded of, in Luke 2, the angels meeting the shepherds in the field and singing Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Where is this peace the angels speak of? Did the angels lie or mislead us? Did did God lie to us? Was, Was God's word lost in translation by the messengers themselves? Did they play a game of telephone, start at the Sarah's and make their way down the angelic post? Perhaps you can make the argument that for either of those scenarios, but going back and looking at the entire nativity narrative, the specter of division has always been present in Luke. Mary Magnificat speaks of division, dividing the powerful from the lowly, pointing to God's just sorting of power and privilege as a manifestation of faithfulness. Simeon, when when the prophet Simeon meets the Holy Family in the temple, describes Jesus as a sign that will be spoken against it, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Raymond Brown, in his commentary on the infancy narrative, goes so far as to say that in Simeon's prophecy, when he promises a sword will pierce the heart of Mary, that, that the sword might not be referring to seeing her son murdered by the Romans. Rather, the piercing of Mary's heart points to the judgment that Mary will undergo in struggling to respond faithfully to God's word. That Jesus will be a sign that divides one motives and inclination like a sword, requiring a piercing spiritual discernment for our minds. While I don't completely agree with Brown's interpretation, his argument is rather compelling and fascinating. It really got me thinking. Perhaps Luke is picking up on the conflict that could have existed in Jesus' own family. His words were and still remain quite radical. I can't imagine many Thanksgiving meals at Jesus' home were always so lighthearted. They might have resembled a lot of our family gatherings. In Luke 8, when Mary and Jesus' brothers are rebuffed by Jesus' redefinition of family as those who hear the word of God and do it, the cost of this discernment becomes pretty plain. Even the hallowed category of family is rearranged in light of God's larger covenantal So the challenge today is, of course, the pastoral application of a passage that could be used for all manner of self-justification. Fiery baptisms have been invoked to sanctify war and cruelty to others. Jesus' description of family division has been co-opted to rationalize denominational schisms and breakups, and that's communications that deny the labor of the There is division that serves the gospel, and there is division born of simply stubborn pride. How does one discern the difference? Or how many times has unity been a synonym for complacency, and the avoidance of division used to hold together a broken system that probably just needs to be broken in order to be repaired? 
Jesus came to light the world on fire. Yet how many times have we demanded, forget Jesus. You either do it my way or I'm leaving. How easily we forget that the gospel is always meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Sometimes we can't fix what is broken. Sometimes we have humpty dumpty situations that where we cannot glue the pieces back together. The church does need to at times take a stand on many on a variety of different issues. And I hope that when the church does speak, that the church stands on the side of Jesus. However, Christianity's history has not always shown that to be the case. So I think our task here today that we first and foremost continue to pray for the church here on earth. Pray that the church might always stand on the side of the gospel, the side of Jesus, the side of the cross. Pray for the Holy Spirit to enable us to act in this way. Because left to our own devices, we will always divide ourselves and create conflict that harms and does not repair May we be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, agathos, sacrificial love, like our God is. May we have grace for each other. But may we never be complacent in our ministry and work here on earth. May we be so bold to stand up like Jesus and err on the side of the outcast, the last, lost, the least likely. And when division and conflict does occur within our community, may we find ways to be gracious, kind to each other. But may we also trust that very last part of the gospel, the part that deals with eschatology, the eschaton. May we also have the trust and faith that on the last day, when we take our final breath and sleep that eternal rest, May we trust that God will put back together all that is broken. Heal that is all that is unhealed. And wake us from that rest on that new and most glorious morning. And bring us into God's heavenly kingdom. Where we will forever live in the holy presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.